0: Hello, church. My name is Pauline, and we will now be reading today's passage in the scriptures from 2 Corinthians 3, 17 to 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is the reading of God's word. Well, good morning, True North. Uh, My name is Eugene. I'm a member of the pastoral staff as well. I have the privilege of giving uh, the message for this Sunday morning. Um, And we're in the middle of our vision series, which is kind of laying out and hopefully describing to you as a church where we hope not just to go for 2023, but just for the future. And I believe there will be a picture up, uh, which we've used a lot, if you can see that. And if you've been here long enough, we hope that this will be ingrained into your minds. But the vision for this church, and ultimately I believe every church does this in their own way, is to create holistic disciples. And this year what we wanted to do is focus just on three ways to do that, God's presence, our formation, and our mission. Uh, last week, Jay was able to preach on God's presence and how that manifests in service, how that is able to convict you of your own sins, and today what we wanna move on is to talk about formation. Which is just another fancy way to say, um, how is your soul being shaped to look like Jesus or to not look like him? And um, if you're like me, uh, I don't know if most people will agree with this. I hate uh, New Year's resolutions uh, with a passion uh, because they always fail. Um, I used to be a big believer in them. If honestly, if you have one, by like week three, you like remember 50% of it, right? And look, there's some of you that continue to do so, and hey, more strength to you, you're a special chosen breed. But I found out gyms love, 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 love news resolutions. A lot of gyms, uh, especially local smaller gyms that aren't franchise, they'll always do a deal in December where they'll say, hey, half off for two years. And under the fine print, it's a crazy deal, it's half off, but the fine print is you can never cancel you know why they do that? Because by this week, no one is still at the gym. Because for many of us, we love the idea of change. And I'm not even talking about spiritual. I'm just talking about any change that you desire, whether it's physical, maybe it's your job, maybe it's yourself, your career, we love it. it all of our advertisements is, hey, let me help you be the best version of you. And this is the thing, if you're like me, you love spending your time dreaming about that idea. You love imagining yourself in that place of change. We love the idea of change, but the problem is, change can never occur, and I I would even propose spiritually unless there is a plan of process. Because we're so addicted to the idea of change, none of us put the the work in creating a process of change. And the question today I have for you is, as a church, or maybe even individually, do you have a conscious, process of how your soul is being formed do you have a plan of action of how your soul is being formed because this is the problem none of our souls stay stagnant none of us spiritually stay in the same place what I mean by that is this uh, oftentimes if you think about a ship in sea uh, they have a direction they have a course and they say hey as long as we follow these coordinates and these areas we'll get to our destination And most common folk would think, hey, if you take a break, if you just wanna take a little stop, just like any other journey, just stop, and then you'll be fine. You'll just rest where you are, and then you can continue on your journey. But the problem is, when you're at sea, the current is always moving you, whether with it or against it. And the problem is, even if you think, as a ship, you're staying stagnant, unless you have an anchor, you're always moving slowly off course. And for many of us, I would agree, Sorry, I would propose it's the same with our souls. We are either moving more to look like Christ or we are becoming more and more deformed away from that image. There is no in-between. And that's why formation, this idea of discipleship, whatever word you want to use, the idea of renovating your heart is so important because your soul is always being changed and formed. And here at True North, what we want to do is focus deeply this year, hey, God's presence, God's mission, but also our own formation. How is your soul being changed? How is your soul being shaped? How is it even being deformed? And a couple of caveats before we get into the message. This will be a lot of broad ideas. There's specifics that we hope to flush out with the rest of the year. But what I wanna give you is just a, a bird's eye view, a framework of a biblical framework of how to change your soul, of how to be transformed. And often when you think about that, when you think, okay, I want to form my soul, we get excited, what can I do? But before we focus on what we can do, we have to focus on a much deeper question. We have to realize first, before we focus on what we're doing, how much we've already been deformed. How much of the darkness in your heart is already shaping it in a different direction. Because unless you combat that, you'll never be able to change. If you look back um, at the text, what Paul writes for us, it's a, it's a really interesting metaphor where he says, verse 18, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, looking at, at, at God, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of, from one degree of glory to another. What Paul is saying is very, it's much deeper than what you're called to do. What he's saying is whatever you behold, you become. Whatever you're looking at, you become. Whatever you worship, you become. And often as Westerners, we do not like the idea. We believe that we're agents of our own power. We believe that we have free will. We believe we can do what we want to do, that we're responsible for our own change. But the Bible gives you a much different, and I often would say, realistic picture of how your soul works. You become what you behold. Then the question is, before we get into how we can form ourselves like Jesus, what are you beholding? To put it even a little bit, better Um, there'll be a lot of elements that I've used before this is just a collection of some of my thoughts about this but and I shared this analogy before but there's a great author that's passed away by the name of David Foster Wallace again he's not a Christian but a deep thinker about how life works and David Foster Wallace had a great analogy of how many of us are swimming in areas of cultural climates of trends that are changing us whether we know it or not He gives a story that goes like this, there are these two young fish swimming along and they happen to meet an older fish swimming the other way. He nods at them and says, morning boys, how's the water? And the two young fish swim on for a bit and then eventually one of them stops and looks at the other and says, what the heck is water? The the whole point, and he gave this at a a college uh, graduation speech, and the whole point of this story of what David was trying to convey is this. The most obvious and important and shaping realities of your life are the hardest to see and talk about. That all of us, whether you like it or not, whether you know it or not, you're swimming in some sort of ocean, just as I talked before, that's shaping your destination for your life. And if you think, oh, I'm, I'm fine, I'm going to do me, I'm going to do, you're just like a ship that's just stagnated on the sea, just drifting with the currents. David Foster Wallace continues, and there'll be a quote on the screen behind me. He says this, and I've, and I've used this a lot, but I hope this sticks with you today. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice you have is what you worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type of thing to worship, be it Jesus Christ or Allah, be it Yahweh or the Wiccan Mother Goddess or the Four Noble Truths or some invulnerable set of ethical principles is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. I mean there's some things I would disagree but I agree with the sentiment of David is saying if you think oh if you're walking in here and you're like you know what i'm not that religious i'm here because my spouse is here i'm just here because my friend's here no you are religious to be human is to worship something and oftentimes when you don't know what you worship the effects are so much more damaging than you know And Paul would even take it a step further than uh, David Foster Wallace. What he would say is, yes, it's true. Everything around you is shaping you. The the water that you're in is not just shaping you, it's deforming you. It's disfiguring you in the way that God has designed you to be made and enjoying life. And the reason that is, it's not just that the things in the world are changing you. The reason they're deforming you is because of sin. Uh, Ephesians four, it's a, a bit of a longer text, but this is what Paul writes in a different epistle. He writes this to the church. Now this I say in testifying the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. What Paul is describing is that sin deforms you. It, it disfigures you, not just not physically, but your spiritual state, your soul, your heart. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and you were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt or deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of god and true righteousness and holiness before you put on your new self that god has given you paul is clear you have to take off your old self and the problem is so much of our old selves is so rooted and ingrained and even married with the sins of our life and before I say, before I talk about sin, because I know when I say sin, it's, it's a buzzword. It, it could mean so many things for you differently. And I think this, the church has done a horrible job at, at giving a biopsy of sin. You see, sin, if you grew up in a church like me, um, the only sin, if you, if you avoided four sins, you would live a holy life. Don't drink, don't do drugs, don't cuss, and don't have premarital sex and God will somehow transform you into a beautiful man or woman of God. The problem is none of that works because even these type of sins, they're just symptoms of a deeper sin. You know, I'm getting a little bit older and I'm getting to a point where a lot of my friends' parents are, are dying of cancer and I just, this past weekend, had to go down to LA to see one of my good friend's father pass and have to be at their memorial service. And, and you know, as, we're, as I'm, we, we try and call every month and he always updates me on how it's going. And the ugliness of cancer is that you don't wake up one day and you find out you have stage four cancer. That never happens. There's a slow and steady progression that the cancer spreads. But the problem is you never know you have cancer physically by yourself until it's too late. You don't feel the effects of cancer until it's at stage four. Unless you have an MRI, unless you have some sort of um, imaging that goes past your physical eyes, you can never know you have cancer until it's probably lethal. And I would say this, with that same type of severity, that is also true of your soul. Sin is like cancer. It spreads without you knowing. And the, and the things that the church has always told you not to do, those are only just symptoms. They're important to avoid. Like, I, I don't think you should be getting drunk every weekend. I don't think you should be, you know, shooting up heroin in the bathroom. I hope not. I don't think you should be doing those things. But if you are doing those things, I'm more worried about what's causing those things. And often how sin is deforming you is in two ways. And I wish, again, I wish we could spend more time, but I'm just trying to give a framework. And we'll get into this more throughout the year. But this, in, in my experience, in my, in my reading of scripture and other authors, what I believe, the, the two main ways that sin deforms you are through the sins of others that leave wounds and trauma and the deep idols and addictions that you have. The the two ways that sin will deform you deeply and change how your soul is, it's through the sins of others that cause wounds and trauma and the deep addictions and idols that you carry. And oftentimes those two are related. And the problem is this type of cycle happens in small ways. It doesn't happen in extravagant ways. I wish it did. I really wish it did. But it doesn't. David Foster Wallace, he continues, and he says something profound. The insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they're sinful or evil, it's that they're unconscious. They are default settings. They're the kind of worship you just gradually slip into day after day, getting more and more selective about what you see and how you measure value without ever being fully aware that's what you're doing. This is how sin works. I wish you would just wake up one day and be like, whoa, why is this random woman in my bed? It never happens that way. To commit adultery is 10,000 small choices that are often unconscious that leads you there. And this is the thing, all of us, even if Apostle Paul says, I am the greatest sinner of all, all of us have this happening. All of our souls are deformed. And a little caveat to make it even, I guess, worse. um, COVID has made this so much worse. We have become radicalized in our deformation. You know, the, the term radicalized often is used in certain faiths, maybe in the Islamic faith or even the Christian faith, where people become radicalized and they become terrorists in, in their own ways. I believe that's also happening in your soul because of the pandemic. Um, I used to love Kanye West. Uh, you know, I miss the old Kanye, not the new Kanye. And there, there's a, if you guys, are, totally unrelated, but do you guys know who Alex Jones is? Um, alex jones is a is a far-right conspiracy he's just uh you know a wacko right and um he's the one that uh denied that sandy hook ever happened and caused a whole fuss but anyways a couple months ago alex jones invites kanye onto his podcast and somehow at the end of the podcast alex jones seems like the sane one because what kanye starts saying is you know alex is trying to give him softballs to, to change his public perception He's like, hey, Kanye, like, I mean, you're not serious about Hitler, are you? He's like, no, I see really good things about Hitler. And then Kanye goes on to say, oh, I love the Jews, but I also love the Nazis. And Alex Jones is like, okay, let's go to break. If Alex Jones is the one telling you that you're crazy, like something crazy has happened, like what happened? I'm sure Kanye, and look, Kanye has a lot of, un, like, I don't know the full extent of his own mental issues. I, you know, I know there's bipolarism going on. But one thing is clear is that in the pandemic, just like a lot of us, he's been watching a lot of stuff, a lot of content. And for him, the content of his choice was ultra-fringe conspiracy theories. And this is the thing, look, well, if, if that's your case, like, please talk to me after, and I would love to help you with that. But I think what Connie went through, all of us are going through because of COVID. The isolation that we faced radicalized and infinitely increased our deformation. In isolation, we didn't have to come physically to service. And if you remember what Jay talked about this past Sunday, when you're in service, the spirit is moving physically. The reason we gather physically is because the spirit manifests itself physically. That if you're daydreaming, as as Jay mentioned, the spirit is using that at this moment to convict you think about this, we weren't meeting for a year and a half physically. Oftentimes, you had the great excuse, if you didn't wanna see someone you didn't like, dude, I'm, I'm worried about COVID, and you know, you're in Vegas the next day with your friends, right? Those type of habits and actions have increased our deformation. We've allowed isolation to, to allow sin to run rampant in our souls. If that is the case, how can we correct our course? Well, we have to set an intentional way of counterforming our hearts from this world. When we talk about formation, you might think spiritual practices or disciplines, you might think about doing things and that's all true, but let me give a larger framework. Paul writes in Romans 12:1-2. He writes to the church in Rome, I appeal to you therefore brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Key verse here, do not be conformed to this world, which we just talked about. The world is, the sin in the world is deforming you. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What Paul is telling us here in Romans 12 is the roadmap of how we can counterform our hearts in a world of sin. How we can set an anchor in the seas of our life and and embed ourselves into God's presence with all the currents pushing us either or in any other direction. Now what does that look like practically? Um, There's another uh, graphic I believe will be up on the screen. There's three circles and this this is the thing. Um, To change. And this this is not tr- This is even just biblical, but this is just psychologists describing and researching change. To change in any way, you need to have three things happening. You need to change your thoughts, you need to change your desires, and then you need to change your actions, and then there will be transformation. This isn't just spiritual. This is physical. This is anything. This is the thing. I, I've always you know I've always wanted to lose weight um, since COVID, because COVID like. I've gotten COVID-19, like I've gotten literally extra 19 pounds from COVID, right? And I've, I, I, I think about that all the time, right? Our lead pastor, Jay, has lost like 30 pounds. He always tells me, you should lose weight. I was like, yeah, I should, I had the desire, but I don't have the actions. I do not have the actions. And this is the thing with, with uh, I believe True North and just the Western church. We always stop at our thoughts. It's pretty packed here. I'm glad you're here on a Sunday. Why do you come? And this is the thing. Also in Sunday, this is a little side thing. In Sunday worship, we always value the sermon over everything else, right? Like that's why we're like, as lo- we're not late unless, until we get to the beginning of the sermon. Why is that? And I'm not trying to call anyone out here. Why is that? Because we think as long as we have the right information, we can change. As long as we have enough information, we can change. And it's an important part of transformation. But it doesn't stop there, because this is the thing. I know so much about diet, about exercises. I bought a rowing machine. I have all these things. I know everything that I should do to lose weight. Probably more than certain people that are losing weight. But I don't have the strong enough desire and I don't have any actions to follow up. In the same way, for many of us, we stop just in our minds. But when you read Paul closely, it's a part of it. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That's great. If you're there, I'm glad you're there because that's a step the Spirit is leading you into. But he continues, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. Are the desires of God aligned with the desires of your own heart? And then in the beginning of Romans 12, 1, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Physical action is what Paul is asking us to take. John Mark Coleman puts it really well, information alone does not equal transformation. Information alone does not equal transformation in any sense, but especially in the spiritual sense. Jesus' end goal is not to inform you, but to transform you into someone like him and in doing so like your true self. To have holistic formation here at True North, look, The thoughts are always needed, and there's so much content out there, better than myself or Jay. Listen to the Bible Project, listen to Tim Keller. Those are all great ways to transform your mind, but if that's where you stop, it'll never be enough. It's the renewal of your mind, discerning the will of God, and presenting your body as a living sacrifice. It's your thoughts, your desires, and your actions. And really quick, I'm gonna zoom through some of these, so I apologize, but hopefully we can follow up, but this is just to give you a framework To change your thoughts, obviously, are you intaking content that leads you to Christ? And this is the thing, if you think Sunday worship is enough, that is not enough. Because I, or Pastor Jay, or even a certain podcast cannot compete with The Last of Us. Great show, right? Cannot compete with Succession. It cannot compete with HBO Max. You are always having content in your mind. So this is the thing. Increase the content that will lead you to Christ. I'm not saying to cut everything out. I I can't wait for Last of Us episode two tonight. I'm going to watch that too. But if you look at your content breakdown, like what is it at right now? So that's how you change your thoughts, but your desires. Augustine, who is an old early church father, he, he put it really well. The problem of the human condition is that we have disordered loves and desires. We have differing desires and loves all at the same time family, money, truth, friends, power. And deep down inside, what happens is those desires, whether you know it or not, whether it's conscious or not, are always ordered in a certain way. And Augustine put it really well, every sin that occurs in your life is a disordering of those loves. So for example, I have two children um, and you know, I love them, but I also love myself, right? But as a parent, I know that the right order is, I should love my children above myself. But when I'm driving from LA to San Francisco, and I'm the only one driving, and, my, and Eli wants to hear uh, Encanto for like the 800th time, those loves can easily change. Where I love silence at this moment. And I lash out, maybe in anger, and I yell. What, what happened in that moment? And when I lose my anger, there was a disorder of love. When you gossip, what are you doing? You're putting the love of excitement over the love of that person you're gossiping. Those two desires are great. You should, you should look, everyone should find a way to get excited and to, and to do things, but not that expensive of another human being. Every sin is a disorder of love. And formation, it's not just the right thoughts that enter into your mind. It's also reordering your heart. And ultimately what Augustine would say is human flourishing under God's image is saying yes to the right things and no to the wrong things. I could go on about this, but to, to, to cap it off, the, the best way to order your loves is to always grow your hunger for God. Because the problem is your desires that are so strong for money or family or whatever it may be, those are all good things but they will not love you like God does. If you put your love and desire for God, even when you don't feel like it, if you fight for it to always be the top of all your desires, you love something that will always love you back perfectly. And therefore, you have the power to complete the other ordering of your loves. So again, transformation comes from your thoughts. What are you putting in your brain, your heart? What are you ordering your loves for and finally, your actions. And this is where often it stops. Um, so much of our spiritual disciplines that, that if you grew up in the church or even if you are new to the church, you've been taught, you've been, oh, you should read your Bible, you should pray, you should come out to church, you should tithe, you should fast, whatever it may be. So much of those disciplines are often told to, to you to, to do so that you can be holier, so that you can be a better person. Those are not, it's, that's not the point. The point of those things is like physical therapy and I'll explain to you like this I want to make it clear that in this message you can get very lost that oh you're earning your way to salvation that is not the point of what Paul is saying Um, you know I I love sports and one thing I've found fascinating in the past couple of years is uh, if you guys don't know what the ACL is I don't even know what it stands for but it's a very important ligament in your knee okay before if you tore your ACL by doing a violent cut it usually meant your career would be over. Derrick Rose, basketball player, tore his ACL, never was the same player. But recently what has happened is the technology and the the science for that type of surgery to repair it has gone so much better that if you tear your ACL, the doctor comes in and repairs it, and you have no power, right, the doctor is doing it, if you do the right physical therapy, your ACL will actually grow stronger than before. But the only way you can maintain that strength is by doing physical therapy. See, the doctor comes in without your power, without your knowledge, gives you a new ACL, gives you a new knee. But the only way to maintain that knee is to continually do physical therapy. What is physical therapy, if you don't know? It's continuing the small, annoying very small actions over and over and over and over again so that your muscle begins to grow strength. When you do physical therapy, you are not creating a new knee. You had no power in doing that, but you're strengthening what has been given to you. That is what Paul is asking us to do. That these spiritual disciplines and actions that we take, that we're called to do, and this is the thing for many of us, we only do it when we feel like we should. And it's either way it's either oh my gosh i just watched porn i need to come to sunday worship man I, I i just messed up i need to pray or man i feel good so i'm gonna pray but what paul is laying out is he's saying look make your life a living sacrifice present your bodies as a living sacrifice holding acceptable to to god which is your spiritual worship it's to do this as a habit and action and framework, to create a rule of life, a rhythm of prayer, of scripture, of Sunday worship, a, a rhythm, these disciplines, so that just like physical therapy, you strengthen the new heart that Jesus has given you outside of your own power. And I promise you when you do this, look, I'm not saying that all of a sudden if you have this framework that God's gonna to speak to you, but when you approach your spiritual actions differently, the greater the power there is. If you approach it that way in prayer, where there are fears, God will give you security. When you read scripture, where there are wounds, there can be found healing. In fasting, and I'm not talking about digital fasting, I'm talking about legit biblical food fasting. When you fast from food, where there is spiritual malnourishment, there's a greater hunger for God. In tithing, where there is self-centeredness, there is generosity that grows in your heart. In Sunday worship where you come and gather with the saints, where there is sin, there comes confession. These disciplines and actions, they're not placed by God to make you a better person. They're to remind you of the new body and heart that God has given you. And look, I wish I could get more into that, and I hope in the future year that we can have spaces to do so. But before I end, there's one small question I wanna address. After hearing all this, if you, especially if you grew up in the church, the temptation is to think, man, that's a lot of stuff. And that sounds like the old, archaic, southern religion of Christianity that I just don't, I'm not about, I'm all about Jesus for the poor. I'm all about Jesus giving me, you know, new desires, but that's a lot of stuff I have to do. And, I, and look, I get it. We're, we're, it, it sounds burdensome. In already busy and stressful life, it may even sound legalistic to some of us to to lose certain freedoms, but Paul would beg to differ. Paul, in in the text, if you remember, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he begins this stanza with verse 17. It's a really random verse, and then it all of a sudden goes to verse 18. In verse 17 of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul writes, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Okay. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Okay? For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. What is Paul doing? It sounds like three different ideas, but it's all one. Paul, and ultimately God, is begging us to form our hearts to look like Christ. Not so that he can have slaves that worship him, but so that his people can experience true freedom. Look look very closely, Paul says when you are being transformed, it's not from work to work or salvation to salvation, it's from glory to glory. When you form your hearts to look more like Jesus, you will experience the freedom, the glimpse of freedom that we had in the Garden of Eden. What do I mean by this? Um, Look, in, in the Garden of Eden, there was no reaction to each other. What I mean by that is this, in any marriage, in a broken world today, the marriage is always reactive. Um, if, if the husband says something bad, right, out of personal experience, the wife will say something worse in return. We're reactive. Is, and, and, and I'm not even talking about marriage, I'm just talking about in life. When you drive, when someone cuts you off, what do you do? You react, you flip them off, right? Or you know you give them a stern look, that's what I would do, right? Uh, Whatever you choose to do. When someone talks bad about you, what do you do? Oh, I'm going to gossip about them behind their back. We're so reactive as human beings. But what Paul is saying is when you're formed, when you you kind of have the yoke, the burden of reading scripture, of praying, of being closer to God's presence through this and forming your hearts, you no longer are reactive, but you're receptive. You can take things in you can in this world of sin you're always encountering either sin that you commit or that is committed to you but as your as your heart is being formed more like christ yes you do stop sinning or hopefully that's the goal but also when you encounter sin you do not give sin in return but you give grace you know how i know this there are moments like i'm not perfect I'm gonna be honest, there are are moments, uh, sorry, not moments, there is a vast majority of my life when these rhythms are not there in place. And I experience that type of reactive soul where I'm snappy with my wife, I'm snappy with my kids. And if, you know, for example, I don't know if my wife's in here or not, for example, I had a long car drive back up to the Bay Area yesterday, right? And I remember I said something, which I can't say here, but I said something to piss her off. And she was like, what did you say? And I knew I was wrong, but I was like, what, right? What? Why did I do that? I'm reactive. I'm defensive. I want to make sure that I get what's mine and you don't get any sort of justice. But there are moments, and there's small moments when the spirit is working, and I'm in a rhythm, and I'm in a season where I can have time to read scripture, to pray consistently, even when I don't feel like it, and I can see there are different realities that I see. I no longer see someone that's trying to attack me, but I see someone that has broken wounds. When you form your soul to be like Christ, rather than causing the same generational sins and trauma of your past, you have the freedom through Christ to break those curses, to no longer parent the way that your parents have parented you. When you form your souls to be like Christ, rather than allowing those who have wronged you to have control and you only seek revenge and bitterness, you have the freedom to forgive. You know, there, there was a clip I put up a long time ago. Mike Tyson has a really good saying about this. When you choose not to forgive someone, they have control over you. When you choose to finally forgive, they no longer do. How do you have that freedom? Only when your souls are formed like Christ. When your souls are formed more like Christ, rather than using gossip and bitterness as defensive mechanisms to survive from broken people and sinners around you, your souls can be receptive and become wells of eternal grace, showing that grace to those around you. This is a purpose of slowing down our lives, of forming them to look more like Christ in our thoughts, in our desires, and in our actions. And this it's, it's a slow, tedious process. And in a world that is it zero to 100 quickly. In a world where we're trying to get cars to go faster, when we're trying to get more efficient, when chat GPTs might make your job extinct in five years. In a world full of efficiency, it's only when you slow down, you can catch up to God. And that's what Paul's asking us to do. Can we form our souls to look more like Christ so that we can experience freedom, we can experience glory to glory rather than sin to sin. So to close off, let's always be reminded, your souls are always being formed. They're always being changed. They're never stagnant. They're always moving in one direction. And I would ask you, where has it been moving the last two, three years? But the beauty of the gospel is there is always opportunity and grace to turn back to Him. That's the point of the cross. Paul says we can look at God with unveiled faces. Do you know what would happen in the Old Testament if you looked at God with an unveiled face? You would perish. But Paul says through Christ and through His grace, you can see Him for all of His glory through Christ's sacrifice and in that image, you can be transformed to look more like Him. So for this year, I hope we can embark together as a church on this lifelong journey to shape our souls to look more like Christ rather than the world around us. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, I know in uh, 2023, uh, in a world coming out of pandemic, in a world of political turmoil, in a world of sinful currents pushing us in either direction, in a life of however long that we've lived, of so many scars from sins of others, from so many addictions and idols of our own that we sin on our own. In the end of the day, our soul can look hideous. We may be so ashamed so that we hide it in our busyness, in our work, in whatever that we're doing, but Lord, as we just heard from your text and hopefully the Spirit, powerfully speaking, allow us to see that when we turn to you, you do not turn your face away in shame, but you beg us to shape us more like you. So Lord, uh, this year, as a church, we hope that we can continue that journey together, that we can seek your presence, that we can seek to be on mission, and that we can ultimately seek to be formed to look like you in the depths of our soul. We thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.